Welcome to the Shark Pod, the podcast that explores business and lifestyle design in Ireland and beyond. And now, live from Greystone Studios, here are your hosts, Luke Curry and Mark Baker. What is up, Shark Nation? Coming at you live from Greystone Studios. My name is Luke Curry. I've got Marky B, Marky Baker out there in Glenageary. Marky B, how's it going? Good, Luke. You're in, uh, you're in flying form. Flying form. You know, it's summertime. I've got my uh, Shark Pod t-shirt on. Um, you know, I'm just raring to go. It's been a while since me and you sat down and really cracked a nut like this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, these are these are some of my favorite ones. But uh, not to say that some of the last few guests haven't been excellent as well. Yeah. Really, really good. It's been We've been on a good run uh, there as well. We've got one that's coming down the pipe that I'm really excited about um, that we might not mention just in case they don't come on. Um, you know, but there's been there's been you know some great guests and we've learned so much. We were just talking about that off air actually, about all of the great people that we've talked to, and that's the the reason why we do this. Bring bring those types of people's knowledge, wisdom, you know, uh, to the people of Ireland and beyond. You know, okay, cool. So today we are all going to we're going to be talking about principles. Um, so principles is a book by a guy called Ray Dalio. Um, so we like i just just as a as a kind of a, a shout out to the publisher I, I ordered this book on amazon it is a beautiful book that came it's like hardback it's one of those things that I'll, it looks like you'll have forever type of thing um like a real reference book uh really nicely which is it out. i think it was retailing at uh 18 pounds 50 mark uh it's good value i think it is good value because um it's one of these books that i was kind of skeptical when i heard about it. i'm like okay this guy he's gonna tell us how to live our lives that type of thing um but it really won me over as I was uh, going through it. And when we do these types of things, like we've done the four-hour work week, um, we've done some other stuff kind of like this. And what I like to do is skim over the entire thing first um, to kind of get a, a feel. That's how I read. So I'll read a whole book in like an hour. I'll go through. So what I do is I read the <laughs> I read the first parag- first sentence of every paragraph and the last sentence of every parag- paragraph. And basically, you can read a book very quickly doing that because the, the, the middle bit is filler. Do you actually do that? I do that, yeah. So I can. Where, what is what's that tactic called? Um, so I took a speed reading class uh, back in the day, <clears throat> and it was complete bullshit. But the f- that tactic was one of the tactics. Say if you are in a pinch, um, yeah. you can just do that, and it, you'd be surprised at like. So what I do usually, I, I'll bang through the whole thing, and then mm. I'll go back to the bits that I thought were interesting, and I just think it's a better mm. way than. I used to kind of take a long time to read books. I'd be really mulling through, muddling through rather, you know? Mm. And this is a way of just kind of getting, getting as a, what's his name? Oh, what's that marketer's name? The, what, what is it? You know, um, the other Seth guy. Godin. Seth Godin, yeah. Seth Godin always says like, uh, you know, after the first hour of reading a book, he gets the joke. <laughs> you know? Mm. He kind of, and he can move on. Um, so I do it in a little bit different way. I read the first sentence and last sentence. Um, and then if I'm in a pinch, I'll read the first sentence and last sentence or a couple of sentences of a page and I can cover a book really quickly. Yeah. Another another way that people do now, use now to read books is obviously audiobooks. I'm interested, is, do, do you retain more or is it the exact same like by, by reading than listening? What do you think? Is everybody different or has, has any analysis been done on that, I wonder? Because so I tell you what, this book, worst. it's a tough, it's a tough listen. <laughs> Let me tell you, Mark, this is probably the worst book ever for an uh, audiobook. Um, it's so, like it has so many graphs. It's, it's very much kind of punchy. 
like uh like I'd imagine it reads like um uh number principle uh 1.3 and then it, like you know there's a lot of digits in it and it's, it's, it's yeah I, it's I, it's also about 14 hours long which yeah. is tough which is tough um but i think that it depends on so I'll, if i'm reading a um if i'm reading some like some bs like sometimes mm. i like to switch up my audiobooks because i get one a month um mm. they got me on the hook there <laughs> so i've got lots of them um i might read something that's um you know kind of i don't have to really tune into um i read uh, like a fingerprints of the gods do you know the uh the I can't, i'm forgetting names all day today what's the the guy it's kind of like oh what is his name he's always going on about hancock. gebeckley teppy and stuff gebeckley teppy yeah uh graham hancock yeah, yeah um it's a hell of a book as well if you read it but i don't need to really entertain that it's entertaining is it is it, is it science fiction or is it uh fact he makes really you know he makes some good points there and you're like yeah. you know, well i don't know that was david ike he, like, David Icke does make some good points. I hate when I agree with these people and then they drop, drop. So the first time I ever seen, uh, actually, this I know we're going off topic here, but we'll swing back. Um, the first time I ever listened to David Icke, I never heard about him. I didn't know about him and the tracksuit in the eighties on Terry Wogan. You know all of the breakdown stuff. Didn't know anything about. Yeah. Him. So he hadn't got any bias. No, I don't have any bias. And he was basically at a, a university or something. He's on YouTube, and I was watching it. And I'm like, this guy's like lifting the lid on the world elites and then yeah. they put up a graphic of uh, like the queen taking off her mask and she was a lizard and uh i started going that's where he loses a lot of people yeah i i, I was saying okay you didn't lose me but you're gonna have to really <laughs> yeah to back this up i gotta hope that's a metaphor yeah um so let's go back to the book here so ray dalio do what do you know about ray dalio what's the what's your knowledge of him did you know i know i knew uh, well, I know a lot about him now, but I knew I knew of him. I know a lot of people reference him. You, you got, the likes of Tim Ferriss and stuff will reference him a lot. He's probably I probably listened to a few podcasts he's been on. Um, he's got a a powerful New York accent um, or New yeah. Jersey accent, does it? I think I like it. It's kind of like uh, it kind of lends some authenticity. He's, yeah. Uh, so for those people who don't uh, don't know him the first time i came across him was in uh a book by tony robbins money mastered the game um and he was one of the people that tony robbins um interviewed in that um and he's basically the the guy who runs the biggest or who at one stage ran the biggest uh hedge fund in the world bridgewater um and in the book he really he goes through how the whole company started and i and i was doing my skimming through and i really actually i got sucked in to the story it's really interesting Especially That's the start of the book, essentially, isn't it? It's it's yeah. just literally his life, kind of, in a, in a nutshell. Exactly. So which is, which is good. It gives a context. I think it's really good, and it really it's kind of snappy as well. It kind of goes through the narrative without too much. Uh, it, you know, he tries to say, you know, uh, you know, it kind of came from nothing, middle class. Middle class is a nothing in America, you know. That's what I was thinking. And then, like, he's like, yeah, when I ran out of money, you know, I had to go get money off my dad. I'm like, that's. I want to hear something like I had to steal some shit, but that, or you know, be desperate, yeah. or don't say that. You're, you're, <laughs> if you're saying anybody can do this, and I don't know if he is actually, so he kind of is saying that not everybody can just get money off parents. So I don't, I don't really like when people say that, but yeah. I don't think he needed that. I yeah. think he would have done it anyway. You know what I mean? Like, but he's a finance guy. He doesn't need street credit. 
Yeah. <laughs> what's, he, what's he doing? Okay. So anyway, so the first the part the book is in th- kind of three parts. The first one is his background, what's uh what the story is there. Um he lays out starting Bridgewater two years after, you know, starting his career. Um he makes a really bold um decision in his first kind of iteration of the company. Um he bets on a, a depression happening between nineteen seventy eight and nineteen eighty three. He goes on uh, you know, all of these uh, news outlets and says that he knows that the end is nigh, all that type of stuff. Um, and then um, it actually turned into the the longest bull run, an 18-year bull run um, in the stock market. So not only was he wrong, he was wrong to a very high um, high degree. Um, and he had to let everybody go. He went back down to just having a, one employee himself um, and then rebuilt his business from a office he built in a barn uh in connecticut so kind of an interesting comeback story there um especially given um you know at one stage he was one of the hundred richest people in the world um you know so he really made a comeback there and the the so that's the beginning of the book the other two pieces or the other two parts of the book are his life principles and his work principles uh, he kind of broke those into two um and for me like i think the the life principles were way more interesting i don't know what you but the uh, yeah. the work ones were a little bit like, yeah, manage people, yeah, pay them. Is it what is what is the guy high output management? Um, is it Peter Drucker? Who's who's that guy? Is it, like, does I've heard a lot of the the principles before. Like, he's obviously hasn't he hasn't kind of come up with them all, but yeah, um, yeah on the work side, they made a lot of sense and they were excellent, but. I'm pro- I was probably a bit more interested in the life ones here. It's really interesting. So, the the there's a few ones that really jumped out at me, and we'll go through them here. But um, I think my favorite one, the the way he described this was so maybe to give even more context a context to this guy. So basically, he, fe- he him and his uh, his team really relied on computers for decision making. So he talks about decision making. He talks about how you're you, you, everyone has to make a, a d- decisions with their lives. And a lot of people go with their guts versus going with, you know, a, a process and in de- decision making. And then I was, I kind of made me self reflect, and I was like, I don't like when I left college. I took this amazing decision making course um, by this uh, negotiation consultant. Um, it was really, really good. He gave us all of these, you know, processes of mind maps of um, of decision trees, uh, probability weighting. Um, expect making decisions based on expected value and stuff like that and then for a while after that course i would do that you know um when i was making kind of life decisions and stuff like that but uh, mm. after a while you just kind of start going on instinct a lot mm. and uh and it, it, it's hard to judge whether it was a good decision or not um and then he talks about kind of with that that one of the biggest decisions you'll have to make is to uh, he draws, and again, Mark, you have your audiobooks. You can't see this continuum, but he draws a continuum um, when he's kind of kicking this whole decision uh, process off. Um, mm-hmm. And the continuum on one side, you've got uh, savor life, enjoy yourself, you know, live for today, see the world. And then the other side is make an impact. And you have to decide where you're going to be on that. You can't okay. You can't do both. You know, there's a dichotomy there. Um, so... Mm. You know, that type of uh, kind of decision making is kind of interesting to me. Um, but I've got a little bit of uh, an audio here, so I think people uh, people could uh, you know without hearing his kind of uh, New York twang. I don't know. Let's get let's get to know Ray. 
Okay, so we'll hold on there. Okay, so we're gonna start off with start off with a nice easy one here. So this one is one of his principles for as uh, uh, kind of for personal life. Embrace reality and deal with it. The path you take in life is your most important decision. In my case, I wanted my life to be great, and I feared boredom and mediocrity more than I feared failure. Since I didn't start out with money, and I didn't need much more than a bed to sleep in and food to eat, I could skew my decisions to pursue my adventures. So ever since I was a kid, I ran after the things I wanted, crashed, got up and ran again, and crashed again, and each time I crashed, I learned something, got better, and crashed less. By doing that over and over again, I learned to love this process, even the crashing part of it. Through it, I encountered reality, and I learned how to deal with it, which inspired another one of my most fundamental principles, which is that truth is the essential foundation for producing good outcomes. By truth, I don't mean anything more than the way the world works. I believe that we were given the laws of reality by nature. Humans didn't create them, but we can use them to foster our own evolution and achieve our goals. Realizing that made me a hyper-realist, by which I mean I became someone who has discovered the great rewards of deeply understanding, accepting, and working with reality as it is and not as I wish it would be. Boom. Mark, what do you think about that? Embrace reality and, or recognize reality. Uh, no, it is. Embrace reality and deal with it. What do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of people l lie to themselves. Okay. And kind of, I think everybody's guilty of that. It's a survival mechanism, probably. You're, so you're kind of going against that with the true thing. When people say like, follow your truth or you know it's all about truth to me that that always seemed like a bit like bullshit yeah. <laughs> like what he actually means what he means is like the laws of nature like as in like truth as in like scientific truth and you know there's no way around it so so you have to accept it essentially yeah. is what, he, what he's saying i like the way he was talking about failing and learning kind of failing and learning kind of an iterative process like building a muscle. I think he references that in the book. It's kind of like building a muscle. You have to, you know, put put pressure on it or, or resistance, you know, and then it breaks down and it builds back bigger. Yeah. Which is probably pretty much evolution. And he actually talks about evolution later on in the book and he's like, that's kind of our secret weapon is that we can evolve really quickly. Like within one life, we can evolve into something very quickly, you know? Um, I think when he's mm. talking about the, um, when he's talking about being re like recognizing what's true and dealing with it i think mm. i'm i know that i'm guilty of getting so angry about how things should be you know that's what i find it mm. difficult to actually accept things because i want to change i think i can change it we talked about um certain tax disadvantages of living in ireland and that made me mm. i had loose sleep over that i was so angry about it mm. you know and instead of just okay figuring out a way to deal with that um, and kind of move on, accept it, or accept maybe weaknesses that you have, accept a bad performing mm. quarter, um, and say, that's the reality. What's the what's the kind of issue behind that? You know, dealing with that, rather than saying, it's not my fault. It's the government's fault. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think I'm pretty good at being a realist. I think I'm definitely, but when you're a realist, like it can, it can annoy people who are dreamers. Do you know what I mean? Like I am, I'm like a realistic dreamer. I don't know if that makes sense, but I have a, a wife who's a dreamer, but I might kind of, it's kind of like a negative thing being a realist all the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know how he thinks you can get around that though. It's it's funny that we're like we are we are on different kind of spectrums when it comes to it comes to that a little bit. I think like I went to mm. I got so excited today. I went to visit some people that were doing a startup, um, and I went into the kitchen and there was all these guys around the with the laptops, um, and then I was talking to them like you know blowing up the their vision of what's going to happen. And I was like, mm. you know, getting them all excited. Then I was like, okay, well, I'm going back to my corporate job. So mm. good luck with that. Do you know? <laughs> Doing so, I, I can, I can, uh, I can dream with the best of them. Uh, but being a realist, uh, maybe I've got a little bit of that going on as well. It's, but it's funny though. I, I was about to say, like, I definitely do have the kind of, and I do think the dreaming part of it is important. It's, of course, it's important. You'll never get to the next step. It's like doing a budget. You know, if you don't say, you know, I'm going to hit this figure by the end of the year, you certainly won't come close. Do you know what I mean? Like, but if you do, but you, then you don't want to put it too high. You know, it's getting that right. But I actually have written down here what he says, reality, which we just spoke about with being a realist, plus dreams, plus determination equals a successful life. I actually think I have a lot of determination. I'm probably lacking a bit on the dream side. Not that I don't, obviously, like I, I do, but it is funny. I do think of them all together. That it does yeah. make sense to me. Does it make sense to you? Those three things. So those three things. So dreams plus reality plus mm. determination equals a successful life. That's kind of their. That's his his take. I think. Yeah, it makes sense. I think that. But dreams and reality are not. Are they not opposing forces? Yeah, but I say mm. like you've got to have some sort of. I don't know, like we talked about Arnold Schwarzenegger before with, uh, he's saying, you know, the clear vision thing. It's something that, mm. it's difficult to keep. I, mm. I bounce around a lot, you know. This is what I'm doing this month, this is what I'm doing, you know. So to have a long-term kind of dream to go after, I think, is important. And then build that around the reality of the situation. Um, it, like he talks a lot about that. And in that, just as an interesting uh, point for anybody who is out there listening who wants to even dive further into the way uh, Ray is seeing his life here. Um, he mentions the adventure there. His kind of his call to adventure is actually one of the chapters in the in the book. Hey, I don't know if it's in this book or a podcast I listened to uh, that he was talking about this, but he his son gave him a book called "The Hero of a Thousand Faces" by uh, Joseph Campbell. Um, if anybody, if anybody out there wants to read something that is just mind opening about about like all marketing or all like it's like it's basically it just describes the hero's journey um and it's every story it's every audiobook that you enjoyed it's absolutely everything that that humans like to hear is tied to this one story and it goes or it goes back to like ancient india um the same story is like uh told in india and ancient ireland there's like that's how you told me about this yeah like now, what is the the basics so that are the same in every story so here's the basics all right there's a call to action okay usually and so the, a call to action a call to adventure um 
So if you take like, uh, I don't know, Hercules, I don't know, anybody. Let's say, oh, Cucullin, okay? So Cucullin is out there and, uh, you know, he's just some guy and then he kills a dog and then that's when his adventure s- starts. The the king goes, you're now Coo, you know, you're my dog of, you know, war or whatever. So that's his, um, mm. his kind of call to adventure. Now he's on the adventure. So he has to go somewhere and do something, right? So there's an act. Um, usually at this stage is when they meet a mentor or somebody who kind of inspires them to, uh, you know, you know, for, for, um, uh, who, for, uh, what's his name for, uh, what, uh, Tony Robbins, like he meets Jim Rohn and that's okay. his kind of, mm. that's the guy who kind of gets him, you know, shows him the way to, to do this. So basically the hero's journey, you go on a, an adventure, um, it's dangerous. You go through like a jungle or whatever. Um, you mm. get to the prize, you win the battle in the end, right? Mm. It sounds like Batman Begins as well. It's every it's every story. <laughs> like it's, like it's yeah, even that's what comes into my head. Uh, and then at the end, so the most important thing is the boon. It's called, and he actually mentions that in the the book. The boon for society, the boon for humanity, is when uh, Prometheus brings back the fire to the people. You have to bring something mm. back, and you have to tell people, and that closes the the loop. Okay. And doesn't the hero have to do something bad though? Is that not part of the hero story? He has to get, he has to fall. He has to do something bad. I've heard that before. Maybe I'm missing that. So in this, in this case, the original one is like, he has to, like he goes through trials and tribulations and he kind of fails, yeah. wins, fails, wins. But then at the end he figures out something, but it's not over until he brings it back. And that's what, uh, it's that book had such an influence on Ray that he wrote mm. this book. This is the boon. This is the what does uh, what does boon mean? Boon is another word for prize, gift. Okay. It's the so this is his so the the hero's journey is not over until you get the credit for it. Okay. So and it's very few people will go through a, a heroic journey and won't tell mm-hmm. you about it. Almost mm. no one. Do you ever notice that they want to yeah. tell you? Like <laughs> <laughs> they got like Tom Crean is the only one pulling pints down in this bowl. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say nothing. Um, that was very uh, colloquial. Anyway, okay, let's let's get cracking here. Uh, let's get another one going. This one is my personal favorite, so I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit. Um, but let's have a look at this one, my fave. Episode five, everything is a machine. Sometimes things happen that are hard to understand. Life often feels so difficult and complicated, it's too much to take in all at once. My deep pain led me to reflect deeply on my circumstances. It also led me to reflect on nature because it provides a guide for what's true. So I thought a lot about how things work which helped to put me and my own circumstances in perspective. I saw that at the Big Bang, all the laws and forces of the universe were created and propelled forward interacting with each other as a perpetual motion machine in which all the bits and pieces coalesce into machines that work for a while, fall apart, and then coalesce into new machines. This goes on into eternity. I saw that everything is a machine. The structure and evolution of galaxies, the formation of our own solar system, the makeup of Earth's geography and ecosystems, our economies and markets, and each of us We individually are machines made up of different machines. Our circulatory system, our nervous system, 
that produce our thoughts, our dreams, our emotions, and all the other aspects of our distinct characters. All of these different machines evolve together through time to produce the realities we encounter every day. And I realized that I was just one tiny bit in one nanosecond deciding what I should do. While that perspective might sound very philosophical, I found that it was very practical because it showed me how I could deal with my own realities in a better way. For example, I observed that most everything happens over and over again in slightly different ways. Some in obvious short-term cycles that are easy to recognize, so we know how to deal with them, like the 24-hour day. Some so infrequently that they haven't occurred in our lifetimes, and we're shocked when they do, like the once-in-a-hundred-year storm. And some we know exist, but are encountering for the first time, like the birth of our first child. Most people mistakenly treat these situations as being unique and deal with them without having proper perspective or principles to help them get through them. I found that if instead of dealing with these events as one-offs, I could see each as just another one of those and approach them in the same way a biologist might approach an animal, first identifying its species, then drawing on principles for dealing with it appropriately. Because I could see these events transpire in pretty much the same ways, over and over, I could more clearly see the cause-effect relationships that governed their behaviors, which allowed me to develop better principles that I could express in both words and algorithms. I learned that while most everyone expects the future to be a slightly modified version of the present, it is typically very different. That's because people are biased by recent history and overlook events that haven't happened in a long time, perhaps not even in their lifetime. But they will happen again. With that perspective, I realized that what I missed when I mistakenly called for a Great Depression was hidden in the patterns of history. And I could use my newfound knowledge of these patterns to make better decisions in the future. And when I thought about my challenge, balancing risk and reward, I realized that risk and reward naturally go together. I could see that to get the most out of life, one has to take more risk, and that knowing how to appropriately balance risk and reward is essential to having the best life possible. Imagine you are faced with the choice of having a safe, boring life if you stay where you are, or having a fabulous one if you take the risk of successfully crossing a dangerous jungle. That is essentially the choice we all face. So I, I kind of let that run on there a little bit because I thought it was a nice little story he was talking about there. That was real, got a real American at the end where it's like, you know, their best life is the one that's real, like risky and stuff. Maybe that's not the best life for people, you know, but it's. Yeah, uh, it depends who you're talking to. I suppose if you're reading this, the book, it might be, yeah. it might make sense. It might be, you might be talking to the right person, but not everybody is like, sometimes I do feel at times he, he's, He's talking to himself, like yeah. people like him, and and that's fair enough. If you bought his book, you know, mm. the, it's a, a definitely a, a demographic he's after. But the, the I thought this was a brilliant way of putting something. Say so. It, actually, in the book, he goes into details where there's there's two machines. Like I love his his like his phrasing. It's really like cold way of looking at something. He goes, when you build a company, that's a machine, and you are a machine within the machine, and being mm. able to see yourself as a machine is the most important thing is that if you can look at look down on yourself as a, a machine trying to 
have a an outcome and if the if there's something broken you can go then go fix it um and so when he's building his company he just builds it out it's kind of like the e-myth uh revisited that we talked about before where when you're building a company to sell you map out everything that you will need and then you fill it in with the right people you know um mm. so i just thought that what do you think with like, it kind of makes the whole decision making thing nice and cold you know you say well i'm not getting the outcome i want so i just have to you know change a cog here it's no big deal mm. is he saying that like everything is essentially cyclical it'll it'll it's just on micro and macro levels exactly so he's actually he's going further he's thinking about the big bang and he's thinking about every the way like if people couldn't really see that definitely couldn't see the uh the the video but everything kind of fits together like clockwork in the whole universe mm. so if you if i he, he figures out like if everything's a machine then if one cog so basically what he what made him very successful was the ability to build uh portfolios for customers who that were that took out the volatility by building a portfolio with assets that were not correlated which mm-hmm. no one no one had really done before so um it meant that you know if the price of oil is is down but you own bonds in vietnam it's not going to affect that you know? so he sees the whole thing as a machine so if one so if if something's happening in latin america it's going to affect oil prices in calgary whatever do you know kind of like so he's seeing the whole yeah. thing as a, as one big machine so whatever the subject or topic is you really have to understand each individual machine how it works because if you don't you're in, you're going to be incorrect or in for a surprise pretty much but i think he's so mm-hmm. he kind of makes two in the, especially in the book the, the the videos are very kind of like high level in the book he kind of drills down into it and he says okay there's the the macro machine that's happening there so if you're making bets um for instance the like the correction that we had in the stock market after uh covid only lasted like a month uh the mm. average downturn is something like 18 months so mm. that that kind of that kind of downturn is kind of out there but if you know it's coming you'll never you won't be really worried when it happens mm. and if you missed uh, i think in the last 20 years if you missed three or four of the biggest trading days you would your portfolio would be worth something like half or the gains would be half what they they could be so it, it's all about kind of staying in the game as much mm. as you can and he uses down. well the only way you can understand stuff certainly on a macro level is if you have a lot of data he seems yeah to be big on on data yeah and, like, and the computers he was like the first ones to like introduce mm. that kind of computer style of uh, kind of testing uh, ideas. So what they would do is they'd run, they'd have their own ideas about what to invest in. And then they'd run, um, he doesn't actually mention this in the book, but I'd imagine they'd run like a Monte Carlo uh, simulations where the computer brings out every single, so like, like, like if the probability of absolutely everything that could possibly happen. So this president gets elected this you know what's that you know all everything and uh and then they would match try to match that with what they thought was going to happen on the kind of the mm. instinct level and uh they'd they'd figure it out from there but mm. if you look there's a graph in the book where he develops this um he develops this kind of uh this idea of having this non-correlated uh investment kind of bucket 
and uh, it, it seemed really weird so it was, he found it hard to actually sell it to people which i thought was a nice thing to put in a book to be like i get it was successful but only 10 percent of our customers bought it <laughs> you know mm. um and he puts a graph in there and like it's it goes for 20 years and it's it, the product was called uh, pure alpha so alpha stocks are stocks that you think are going to outperform the the market um and then beta stocks are like etfs that just track the market you know you're just trying to break even with the market right and um, so this was just all alpha stocks um or alpha you know positions um and they tracked it out over 20 years and it's almost exactly what they what they thought it would be like it's mm. really close almost like magic mm. how could you like it's really really good and if you looked at any other like go open a mutual fund uh chart it's all over the place like <laughs> do you know what i mean this is like bang on exactly what they said it was going to be um and next week when we talk about uh our kind of investment masterclass, um we're going to talk about his because he's gonna this is the boon that he also brought back he told people how they can do it themselves um using things that you can buy on the internet like you know stocks you can buy yourselves mm. um it's called the all weather portfolio um and it has averaged 7.5 percent for the last 20 years and they back tested it over 100 years or something and mm. um it only lost money a few times and when it did it lost half the amount that the stock market lost jeez Joke it away. so he really mm. this guy really cracked it it's not mm. the weird thing is he said he wasn't overly academic was he <laughs> that's what's what, that what he says like what like i think he's pretty bright this guy you know I, yeah is it fun to say that you're not and all every book i'm like i've never met anyone who said yeah i smashed it at school and now look at me it's yeah i was like oh, I, I think he he definitely smashed it at, when he when he went to college um he, he did admit that but because it was something he was interested in he wasn't a he wasn't a jack of all trades um which not a lot of people are and that's another thing that he talks about doesn't he like to do it like know your weaknesses and you know essentially outsource to people that are good at those weaknesses that's that's a big thing of his um trying to f figure out like he, he always tries to find smart people to argue with um mm. so he's trying to hire people that are really bright that might have a different perspective than him like see like he actually mentions uh he has a really nice turn of phrase in the book where he talks about uh, he says i'm a professional decision maker Mm -hmm. that's my job to make, is to make decisions and i don't think every maybe every job is to a you know lesser extent but his one was like do we buy you know euro bonds or not today do you like know so that's a, like it's a decision kind of binary decision so what we, he mm -hmm. would do is he'd hire people and they'd have a what he called an idea meritocracy where everybody would be completely open with how they felt about this they'd argue back and forth about why they thought that um and he thought that that was something that really wasn't happening at the bigger um investment firms it was very much like yes sir no sir you know mm -hmm. with the investment manager um and that kind of gave him the edge that's what he thinks as well so i wonder what it was like to work there it sounds like it like it's so when he goes through the work principles he actually talks about how um how important it is to make sure that you know there's uh governance and kind of watching people like <laughs> He seems. It seems like it's a pretty intense place to work. Yeah. Well, he obviously seems like a nice guy, and lots of people say he is. Well, he he got that. He he did. 
I don't know if he asked for it or not. The the review of him as a as a as a CEO or whatever he was. Like yeah. was that was that given to him without him asking? Or the, I think it was. Was it? And then people's people were basically saying that they couldn't work with him because he was too. Like, He'd make people feel inferior, or not inferior, but kind of stupid, essentially, and and it was too blunt, and and so he does talk about. The, but at the same time, they were saying we love you, but look, you have to realize this is how you make a lot of people feel. Like one of his principles is evaluate accurately, not kindly. Yeah, that's a that's a tough way to live. If you're, just- but I think you can you can definitely do that without being rude. I definitely think you can do that. But would you, do you want to, only a certain type of person is going to work, want to work in that environment? He does pretty much say, like, if you, if you don't, if you don't, if you're not up to scratch, you're gone. Yeah. So as nice as the place is to work and as friendly as the people are and as exciting as the work are, work is, you must be looking over, your, you must have been looking over your shoulder every, you know, every day. Because it is funny because in the, uh, I think it was, I don't know if it's in the, Actually, it's in the book in the, at the very beginning. He was talking about, you know, it's almost like a a, a real wholesome view of of his uh, of his organization where he's like, yeah, we built our office in the farmhouse. We lived in the apartment beside the farmhouse and or in the barn. And, you know, all my uh, workers at the beginning would come over and we'd all have lunch together in the kitchen and all type of stuff. And then he's like f- firing people if they get a call wrong. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um it's it's a like i don't know any like standards if you're going to be the the biggest hedge fund in the world mm. so it's 180 billion or something he was uh managing i'd say there's a lot of stress there you know maybe in that line of business it's a prerequisite you just need that to achieve what he achieved that that working environment needed to be in place personally i don't think people should strive for that for the working environment that I vibe that I got off him, um, and I'm sure it's changed over the years and stuff like that. I w- it, it didn't seem like that was advisable, in my opinion, for if you're if you're building a business. It's, it's kind of yeah. I I know what you mean. I was thinking, for example, the the baseball cards, the scorecards that he was doing. Yeah, that like, was interesting. It's an interesting one, but like, so basically, every if it was every quarter or every year, they'd come out with the the numbers. Say that again, sorry. It was every quarter or every year? I can't remember. There was some sort of like a like a baseball card of all of their like how they did. It was reviewed. Basically, said like if it was based on their what was it? What was the different things it was based on? Um, creativity. Uh, I don't know. The, the reliability. Lots of different things. Like a top trump kind of card, I'd say. Um, it makes sense, but like I think it was. He was basically saying it. If it didn't, they'd analyze, they got big into psychometric testing and stuff like that. Yeah. And it, basically, if, if if you're proven right, it didn't change. And that justified that that is the way you are. And if, if you did improve or, or go back or forward anyway, they'd evaluate it every, uh, I don't know, probably every month or something. Really? Like, and either way, it's going to be right. It's it's a it's a funny one because if you're making that much, like with, with finance, you can make a, a lot of money there. So it's easy it, they'll find somebody else it's not like i don't know i was if i ever started a company i'd want everyone in the company to be really well paid so they would want to stay or they want to make it work do you know um yeah. all of these kind of mid-level paying 
like the, the people get paid mid mid level in, in companies. I just think that they just they hate their job. Yeah, yeah. they just not into it. Like, Look, a lot of people, a lot of people, and I, I deal with people moving jobs. A lot of people will move for less money because they they don't like their job for one reason or another. But it, it'd be interesting to say if you said that you gave everybody, say in an industry, the finance industry, everybody got like. 10% pay rise, you know, so they're all getting our 20% pay rise. They're all getting a bit more money. Would would there be as much movement that year in people getting different jobs leaving? There probably wouldn't. Yeah. Think- so yeah, paying people more cuts out a, a part of the risk that they leave. I definitely think. Especially just give them really high targets or, you know, make it justifiable. You know, it's easy to do with sales, harder to do with other stuff. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's very easy to do with sales. Yeah, it's win-win then. One of his other ones here, I'm just looking through because in the book it gives you like a summary of all the all the ones, and I thought this one really jumped out at me as well. Um, do what you what you set out to do, um, and then it goes through all of the kind of bits under that. But um, like a lot of the times, people aren't really setting out to do anything, and I think that <laughs> as long as like he seemed to have a you know the mission to build this great company, mm. and he's going to build it whether it goes down to just him doing it. Like he's gonna get there in the end. There's a mm. there's a mission. There's a he's on the adventure, like you said. Um, a lot of people really aren't on the adventure, and it's difficult to, you know, make that. <laughs> they happen. haven't found a goal. I think that's a lot of people. A lot of people will understand actually the work involved in in something. If you could, like, if you have a task at hand, how to do it is it can can be learned. But actually, having a goal in the first place. Not everybody has one and it's hard because a goal, like a, a dream or whatever, a target, whatever it is, long-term, like it's not something you're born with. Like it's not something you have. Like, sometimes people have as a kid, usually it's to be a footballer and stuff like that, you know, which, which is tough. Um, but once that goes out the window, do you ever find that like once, you know, it's, I think it's an Oasis song. Uh, as we got older, the dreams we had fade away or something like that. Um, yeah. But it is, it's those real dreams that you have from zero to 17. Yeah. Almost most of those dreams are no longer possible when you hit 18. <laughs> so then what the fuck is your goal then? Yeah, I know what you mean. And then everyone starts getting real realistic all of a sudden. Mm. Um, and then, I like, I don't know, one of the most interesting times of my life is when I went, moved to Canada when I completely broke after my big trip. Mm. Um that's that was a, a physical trip around the place, not a ayahuasca trip. No, no, no. It was actually just me walking around um, South America, but uh, we had no money, and it was very. The goal was to get like I needed to get income this month, or else we can't eat. Almost like you know, it wasn't mm. like that, but but like, and that having that, like I actually really enjoyed that. I don't know why. I look back with fondness of having that. You know, I don't know if I'm romanticizing the whole thing of you know. Well, it's quite it's quite primitive, quite primal, isn't it? Like having to it's keep like that's why you, you see a lot of tribes, and you've seen tribes that are very happy because their goals are actually just to to keep going, to stay alive, to feed, to hunt, you yeah. know that kind of stuff. It's it's a uh, it's an interesting one, but um, okay. So we've got one more here that I wanted to get to before we wrap up on this one. Uh, bum, bum, bum. Uh, let's just do the the five step process uh, for success. How about that? The five-step process. 
We've discussed how important it is to reflect carefully after experiencing pain. When I did this, I was usually able to discover principles that would prevent me from repeating the same mistakes in the future. And I could see that being successful simply consisted of five steps. Step one is to know your goals and run after them. What is best for you depends on your nature, so you need to really understand yourself and know what you want to achieve in life. Step two is to encounter the problems that stand in the way of getting to your goals. These problems are typically painful. If handled badly, some of them can lead to your ruin. But to evolve, you need to identify those problems and not tolerate them. Step three is to diagnose these problems to get at their root causes. Don't jump too quickly to solutions. Take a step back and reflect in order to really distinguish the symptoms from the disease. Step four is to design a plan to eliminate the problems. This is where you will determine what you need to do to get around them. And step five is to execute those designs, pushing yourself to do what's needed to progress toward your goal. A successful life essentially consists of doing these five steps over and over again. This is your personal evolution, and you see this process everywhere. It's just a law of nature. Think of any product, any or... So he goes on to explain there, but Mark, what do you think about that? <clears throat> We're talking about the first thing that he talks about there is what we just talked about is uh, the goal thing. Mm. Um, and just when he said that, do you think that there's a business in giving people goals? Sit I think there is. Say, what do you want to do? This is your goal. You're going to be, Mark, you're going to be selling 10 paintings a day. Mm. That's going to be the goal. I don't that's know. not a goal. That To me, that's the, uh, that's the problem you have to encounter, you know, okay. or the yeah. plan, or maybe it's, sorry, maybe it's designing the plan. Yeah. Or, you know, it's, 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 I want to be a full-time professional artist earning six figures do you know what i mean that yeah. would be in my opinion that would be the goal yeah okay so, so you know so and that's look that's easy broad. for me to say because i i'm an artist like I, I do enjoy doing that not everybody is you know what i mean like so i always actually felt very very lucky that people used to say that as a kid but like you, you that was your thing and i was always the best at that and i was like look if i lose that football match or whatever like i'm still the best artist yeah around you know what i mean like so i've that was kind of, I fell into that, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. So that goal would have came easy to me. So I definitely think the first one is the hardest part, in my opinion. And it's almost like a, it's a, a disease of modern society. Mm, it's, the, it's the cause of so many problems, in, in, especially in places like America or, or underprivileged areas anywhere. Yeah. There's no, there's no goal. Because they don't think it's, they probably don't think it's uh, possible. Yeah, or they're too, so on one end of the spectrum, they don't think it's possible if they just have different circumstances here that it's hard to overcome. Or on the other side, they're too soft. Everything's kind of, yeah, I'm going to inherit this house. Oh, that's the other side, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be fine. <laughs> too, pri too privileged. Privileged, not, yeah. Not enough resistance that you've become weak and so everything seems hard then. In, in modern society, you have to kind of like make up obstacles. Do you know what I mean? We're, like, it's not like... Yeah, it's, yeah. It's it, well, in, not in, in the first world and, yeah. you know. And not to downplay, you know, mental health and stuff like that, but there's all these stats about, if you read the 
uh, Sebastian Younger book Tribe. It's all these mm. stats about um, suicide and stuff plummeting when there's war. Or, yeah, you know, someone's like, yeah, well, we've got something to do. We've got the mission. Yeah, I, I can't think the about how the goal. It's all the same things. Yeah, yeah. Something yeah. to look forward to. Exact same thing. Yeah. When are you most happy? Usually, when you're looking forward to something. Yeah. <laughs> it's not actually when you're actually. Yeah. You know, on the holiday, sometimes depending on the holiday, the looking forward to it yeah. is actually it, it's more prolonged. I feel than than the actual experience. Hundred percent. I remember mm. being so excited on our trip to Africa. You know, climbing Kilimanjaro and that. And then I remember mm. when I was going towards the top, I'm like, "What the fuck am I doing here?" Really? <laughs> you know I mean? Like there was a time. You're tired. <laughs> so this is stupid. Like, you know, but uh, yeah. My, my point is, like, looking forward to it was the, you know, um, was the best you know, part of that. Well, actually, like, you know, the whole thing was fun, but I think that uh, having that goal is good. Um, what are some, what are some goals that people have? Like, I wonder if you ask, you know, 10 people that you know, or like, what are your, what are your goals? Most people probably don't actually have any. It's actually just this year. It's to, to just do a good job for a year or, do you know what I mean? Like, where, where's the long, that long-term goal? I, I think it's so rare that when you encounter it, it shines in your face mm. and yeah. you're like what that's that's your plan like you know like uh, a good example of that was one of our our guys uh that was on the uh the podcast michael houghton the from the fire <laughs> podcast our fire ireland podcast where he's going to retire in six years clear goal and he's getting after it do you know what i mean like and it makes everyone mm. go okay this guy's got a plan what where am i gonna be in six years working working mm. that ass mark you know <laughs> Yeah. yeah and his is like usually it's long term but like his isn't even that long term like after speaking to him it changed like changed my financial setup like mm. and we'll talk about that next week in our, our thing because over the last six months I've completely changed how I do everything do you know yeah he's uh, really got if you think about it him in particular he's really gone through all those steps those five steps yeah exactly and I've, I even went through a few of those steps today when I was coming up with uh, you know I'm starting a new job all that good stuff you know, all the problems that are in front of me, mm. list them all out, mm-hmm. all the stuff, all the problems, and then don't tolerate them. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Of that as well. We're not going to tolerate them. We're not going to sit there. This is, we're going to change these things. Here's the plan and then execute the plan. I like it. Mm. Um, but the, uh, I was going to say something about goals. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Even the, like last, I, I was really inspired by uh, Andy Mackin last week where he was talking about, he, the guys, you know, started his business when he's almost 40 um, I don't know how old he is now, but probably in his fifties, uh, and he's got the goal. He's going to be. He can see himself ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange, mm. and that kind of said to me, "That's okay. That's and he just, all he has to do is put a plan in place to get there." Yeah, it doesn't really matter if he doesn't get there. Does that matter? Do you, do you know what I mean by that? Like, yeah, but it's the he, journey. He's he's on the he's on a journey that he'll enjoy. Yeah, like he knows where he's going. So. If he gets hit by a bus tomorrow, he was kind of happy pursuing that goal up to that. That was, yeah. you know, it's very interesting. Um, yeah. So I think we've got one more and then we're going to wrap it up. Um, but I think, you know, people, I would, so here's here's the last one here. I'm just going to, it's going to be a very quick one. Struggle well. So far I described how I learned to confront my own realities, my problems, my mistakes and weaknesses, and how I surrounded myself with others who could do things better than I could. This was the most effective way I discovered for making great decisions. This is not the normal way of being. 
But through this approach, I became very successful. And being successful enabled me to meet extraordinarily successful people and see how they think. I've discovered that their journeys were similar to mine. You might not know it, but they all struggle and they all have weaknesses, that they all get around by working with people who see risks and opportunities that they would miss. Over time, I learned that by nature, most people's greatest strengths are also connected to their most significant weaknesses. And striving hard for big things is bound to lead you to painful falls. It's just part of the process. Such setbacks will test you. They sort people. Some think hard about what caused their setbacks, learn lessons, and continue progressing toward their goals, while others decide that this game is not for them and get off the field. Oh, Mark Baker. It's a great one to, to end on the there. The principles in my book oh. have been responsible for whatever success... Sorry, Ray. <laughs> I don't care what you thought. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite. He's very New York-y. I like it. Uh, yeah, so that that bit there was like if someone fa fails, they get off the field. They're the ones you don't hear about. So there is kind of, he's admitting there's a survivorship bias with the people he's talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, definitely. So it's, uh, but it's interesting. So kind of, he's admitting that it's going to be up, ups and downs, but it's just kind of getting up and keep on going like. It's almost like there's no, it's, he's probably saying like it's impossible to succeed at anything really without taking a risk. Yeah. He talks about that a lot in the book about, yeah. And it's, it's funny, the, the million dollar, our million dollar Irishman that we had on um, before when there was Chris the, McGale. Chris McGale. He was the, uh, the MD of, uh, of uh, was it Morgan Merrill Stanley? Lynch. Merrill Lynch. Merrill Lynch. Sorry, Merrill Lynch. And he was talking, he talked about risk a lot. He goes, yeah, like there was some great guys there, real risk takers. He said that like a mm -hmm. good thing. And for most of society, that's a bad thing. Do you remember, like he kept on saying, he goes, hey, yeah, like that was a, a proper investment bank, you know, real risk takers. Like, mm. uh, And he meant that in a way, like they had, they did the math. They knew, to, you know, they calculated the risk. And they to calculate a risk. I think that's probably the most important thing to to do is to really calculate as much as possible. It's, it's yeah. It's one of those things where he talks about. I I would say okay. So we're pushing an hour here. I think people need to go get this book, um, just as a, as a as a reference book. It's it's great. You can pick it up and like. There's so much in there. Real. Mm. I thought it was going to be. You know, I was on the fence. I was like, oh, I'll give this a go. Um, and even at the beginning, I'm like, I don't know if I like this. But then it won me over something awful towards the, towards the end. And like I said, I found myself instead of just skipping all the the paragraphs kind of getting sucked in i tell you what it was kind of like it's kind of like the Ar arnie's encyclopedia of bodybuilding so it's kind of like a book that you can just keep going back to and it just has everything because it has everything in it as it's, it's a beast of a thing yeah so for like basically for for life and work yeah it's essentially if you're ambitious like we didn't even cut there's so much here <laughs> there's so mm. much here like uh Get the right. How how does he know so much? That's that's one thing. As I, he was talking and going into the science and stuff yeah. and physics and he goes into biology of the brain. Yeah, and when he's hiring people, he thinks about how the brain works. He's really yeah, and he said that was actually a, a bit of a game changer. Uh, his understanding of, of his brain has as big of an impact of his, as his understanding of of investments or something like that. 
which is pretty much the the softer skills side of things. He 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 got to understand the way people think because of their brains. So it, it just yeah, it's not it's not something you're just gonna bre- speed read through. Really, like yeah. you can you can keep going back to it. Like it's it's always gonna be there for you if you ever lose kind of track or motivation or something. I think it's one of those kind of books. It feels. I think so as well. So I think there's lots of stuff in there. I think people need to go get the books, figure it out for themselves. I'd say get the hard uh, copy though, Mark. What do you think? Shark, shark tip of the week. Yeah, absolutely. It's not an audiobook. Um, save those ones for conspiracy nonsense that I like to listen to and uh, stuff like that. Uh, but I think we will send a mug out to our boy Ray Dalio. Uh, you might get an <laughs> at mention out here and uh, on LinkedIn. But uh, yeah, okay, cool. Let's wrap it up there. Go get principles. It's good. Oh. Cool.